Hey, so we got another great show for you today. I am so glad that you're here. This is probably around episode 100 or so, and we have a Hall of Famer, Journalism Hall of Famer, Michigan Journalism Hall of Famer, coming up right after this, and you're going to love this show. So stick around, and we'll come right back. Welcome to the Get Out There and Get Known podcast. Join Pam Perry, veteran PR strategist, Emmy Award-winning producer and publisher of Speakers Magazine, who will show you how to crack the code in getting out there to get known. Each week, she either interviews her media friends, PR colleagues, or she just goes solo, offering you strategies on publicity, publishing, and platform building. So listen up to hear how to get booked on media places and on superstar stages. Now, here's your host, Pam Perry. Hey there. So this show is all about helping people with publicity, publishing, and platform building. If you're a speaker, author, a subject matter expert, listen up, because we have someone here who has been around for a while, and actually they have made it to the Michigan Journalism Hall of Fame. Jerome Vaughn. Yes, we're talking about Jerome Vaughn. Jerome Vaughn, WDET News Director, has spent a quarter of a century shaping the news emanating from the Metro Detroit NPR affiliate. So for those of you who don't understand what NPR means, uh, National Public Radio. Um, he began his career as an intern. Wow. And then contributed to its award-winning news stories ever since, except for a brief time when he was at Michigan Radio. Vaughn has spent his career holding up the mirror to Metro Detroit. Uh, his documentation of the story of Detroit is truly a time capsule of the past, as well as guiding inspiration for rebuilding Detroit. Vaughn brings to his entire set of unique attributes as a lifelong African-American Detroiter who chooses to live within the city limits. Those of you who don't know anything about Detroit, that's like a big deal because it was a period of time when people were flighting across 8 Mile um, despite tough times. He has reported on issues and moments as varied as the city's bankruptcy, um, the nuance and culturally specific effects of the 1967 civil disturbance, published politics and elections, and the death and the funeral of Miss Rosa Parks, former Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick, and the tragic shooting in the vestibule of WDIV. As importantly, Vaughn documented the impact of its sign-off of the legendary Black radio station, WQBH. Martha Jean McQueen, rest in peace, loved her. He has spent countless hours crafting and conducting WT's news internship, providing opportunities for future media professionals to learn and hone their craft. He has also served as a mentor for NPR's Next Generation Radio Project. And Vaughn's reporting, WTDET has honored him 13 times by the Michigan Association of Broadcasters, 15 times by the Michigan Associated Press, and 12 times by SPJ, Society of Professional Journalists. So with that, this is a heavy show. So with that, I'm going to bring up Jerome Vaughn. Hey! <laughs> How are you? Good, good. I, I hope this show won't be too heavy. I mean, you know. <laughs> well, just just really the personal story of how we met. We met through NABJ. I'm a lifelong Detroiter as well. Went to Wayne State. Actually, my first job was at WDET. So I don't know when you came out of Wayne State, but my first internship was at WDET and I lasted for about three days because I had to be there at 5 a.m. in the morning. Mm. And I was like, it was wintertime. 
And by the third day being late again, I forgot what the news director's name was. He was like, I don't think this is going to work out. I said, I don't either. <laughs> like, I said, I don't think news is for me. <laughs> so I was like, now, see, if you were one of my interns, I would have just said, maybe it's best for you to come at a later time and you can still learn something. Oh, my God. I was like, who does this? I just applaud people who have these, you know, like, like Rhonda Walker, you know, one of our friends at NABJ, she's got to get up at two and be, I'm like, whoo, baby, you love that. Or even Alex Kimbrough, you know, our friend Alex, mm -hmm. he has to be there. You know, he's doing well. He was in a, in a accident not too long ago, but he's doing well, but he was like on his way to work. I was like at two 15. I was like, who does that? So yeah, it's, it's, it's a thing that you have done it since you were an intern, you went to Wayne or you went to. I went to uh, Michigan. I did the internship when I was working on my grad degree at Wayne. Ah, okay. Because I knew because it had to be like within that vicinity because it's a little trek to try to go from Ann Arbor to that every day. Well, I guess people do do it, but not really. Mostly it's like the Wayne State people. So tell us about how you really got into it. Like what was the first love about journalism that that drew you in? I guess you would say people always want to know, like, were you just a nosy person? Did you like writing or did you fall into it? So it's always real interesting to hear how people really get into it. I, I'm one of those people that radio journalism is something I've wanted to do since I was five years old. Wow. So my mom bought me a yellow Panasonic ball and chain radio. About I remember those. Yes. And I got two of the loves of my life out of it, you know, music, but also I love listening to the news. And so mm -hmm. I'd be there five, six, seven, uh, drawing with crayons, playing with my Hot Wheels. And on the radio, I had the news going on. And at the time, the best was CBS News. And so I was listening to all the greats that had invented broadcast journalism, Charles Collingwood and Eric Severide and Walter Cronkite. Mm -hmm. And I'm just listening to them tell these stories. And I can see what's going on from the words that they're using. I, I was hooked right away. And I've wanted to do it ever since. Wow. Now, do you remember Jerry Blocker? being on the radio when you were a youngster. I remember Jerry Blocker more from TV than from the radio, but I remember Jerry Blocker very well. And he was, he was important, uh, you know, in, in learning what was going on, someone to follow. Yes. He was like one of the first anchors on television, black anchors. Mm -hmm. And I think it was on WW, I think it was WJ. WWJ. I think it was or either WJ. I'm not sure which one it was, but there was, um, you covered WQBH. So tell us what that was about. So give them a little bit of background for those who aren't from Detroit that don't know about WQBH and the magic that it brought and where it started. And, and basically you were covering it when it when it ended. It was this legendary uh, black radio station, really in touch with the community. Um, mm -hmm. One of the main people at the station was uh, Martha Jean the Queen, we called her, Martha Jean Steinberg. And she had this really unique uh, touch with the community, connection with the community. People tuned in to listen to her talk about what was going on in Detroit. Uh, talk about what was uh, going on in, in religion. All of that came through the radio each and every day. And she had this huge following. Mm -hmm. Well, 
you know, uh, in the 90s, uh, you know, she had passed and her daughter decided to sell the radio station, uh, WQPH. And I did a story about just this this legendary radio station being sold. Uh, I remember there was this huge party at a, a nightclub on the west side and was in there and talking to all these people who had been through there, including, you know, Al Allen, uh, who mm -hmm. worked at uh, Channel 2 here in Detroit. And he was talking to me about his time there. Uh, you know, other people like uh, Jay Butler, wow. a longtime uh, Detroit disc jockey, was a program director for Martha Jean the Queen. Uh, and just and he's a civil rights uh, icon as well. All these people were talking about their their experiences there, and it just made for a great, great, great story. I'm, mm -hmm. I miss that radio station to this day. I do too. I mean, she was one of the first people, black woman, to own a radio station. I think she she something with either she started out at WJLB or she bought the the dial from WJLB at the time, which was a powerhouse. I think WJLB went to um, FM and I think she bought their, their studio or something like that. But I did work with WQBH, but not in the capacity of news. Uh, I actually did the promotions and did their, their media kit and that sort of thing. So I was helping them sell, sell the, the station, not sell it, but sell the airtime on uh, WQBH, which was really that, that time they weren't, a lot of major corporations weren't buying African-American uh, media. They didn't think African-Americans, I don't know whether we didn't have money or what, I don't know what it was. Thank goodness that has changed. They realized, yes, that is a market that we should go after, African-American market. But yeah, that was one of the ones where I think Kathy Young-Welch maybe got started there. There's been so many people that started through there, but it was a black woman-owned radio station. I think there's a, a group called Black Women in Media. Black Women in Radio, I believe it is. Black Women in Radio, they are doing a, um, and I may have them come in touch with you. They're doing a tribute to her at one of their oh. events. And um, obviously they're honoring some, and they're, it's like a museum. It's called Black Women in Radio Museum. And so they were looking for some archival information to put in the museum and to honor uh, Martha Jean McQueen. So yeah, so I do I do miss her as well. I think Ken Coleman is where I met Ken Coleman there, oh. actually, as well. Yeah, because he was working there as well. So I heard a uh, All Things um, Considered. And uh, I think her name is Summers is her last name. Joanna? Juana Summers. Yes, Juana Summers. And so I heard an interview with her today about how she's one of the first African-Americans to really take the place as a head anchor for that show. And um, that person was really talking to them about uh, public radio and how it has had a stigma over the last few years being a little, I won't say racist, but not having enough diversity. So do you, what's your feeling about Joanna being in that position now? Do you think things are really changing since the, you know, 2020, the joy, you know, George Floyd and all of that? Um, people are really trying to make a big difference because you've been there for a couple of decades. So you can um, see I, I, I've seen ups and downs. I think uh, the network is, is really working now to make great strides. I think there have been times where they've tried to do that before and then they've pulled back and they've tried again and they've pulled back. Um, they've, they've made an effort to get diverse voices on the air and then they pull back. 
um, it, it's not sort of your typical uh, sort of radio network in that sense. You know, NPR listeners are um, above average income, uh, mm -hmm. above average education. And so, you know, that can skew some things. But in recent years, I think they've, they've been making real efforts uh, to reflect America. And that's what they really need to do. Yeah. So Juana yeah. Summers is on uh, now. Uh, you know, they've got a host, uh, A. Martinez, who works in the morning. Uh, and, you know, they've been trying to to make uh, that difference. I think locally, you know, here in Detroit, it's the same thing, right? I think we have a longer history at WDET of being diverse. Uh, when I started uh, at the station back in 1992, Karen Mathis, uh, an African-American woman, was the general manager. Yeah. Uh, and she really pushed for that diversity um, and oh really God. looked to keep it going. Oh it ebbed. When she left, uh, and uh, we've worked to bring it back, and you know it's a constant battle. Well, you have one of the things that I love that you all do. You do the podcast from the Charles H. Wright Museum, uh, Twisted Storytellers, with Satori Shakur. Shakur, uh, that's really really good. And I always tell people, I said that is like brilliant. You know, it's like it's the Twisted Storytellers are good anyway. That Satori does. It's kind of like. African-American TED Talk, I guess you would say. Mm -hmm. But they're actually, the podcasts are, are edited very well. She does an intro and then does some of the shows and that's on there as well. And there's um, the national version. Well, and then also too, obviously, Stephen Henderson, he's there because he's African-American. He does things um, on, on the station as well. So shout out to Stephen. But the one thing is the code switching, I believe it's the national show. Mm -hmm. So that came about... That came like a right after the twenty May twenty twenty after the George Floyd murders. Yeah, and and one of the things uh, that NPR is is really good about is about dealing in language, right? Mm -hmm. Language that people use. Uh, NPR listeners, uh, you know, they're the ones who like to do crossword puzzles, and you know, they have a fascination with language. And so, it really came about to have this group of uh, journalists look at code switching, look at its importance, look at how uh, it was affecting things in the country. Uh, you know, very important. And, and this group has continued to uh, bring out some great stories that, you know, the hope is to educate people who don't know what's going on about what's going on and, and to get a better understanding of, of where things are. And explain to people who aren't familiar with what code switching is. It's, it's a, it's a colloquial kind of a word. It's not a real dictionary word, but explain to them what code switching is. Well, it's the idea of uh, speaking differently uh, with different groups. So mm -hmm. if uh, I'm with uh, my African-American friends, I, I might say things differently. I might say different things, period, than I do with other ethnic groups when I'm with them. Uh, mm -hmm. I think for African-Americans, it's especially important. It has been for centuries, yeah. uh, you know, and you say the wrong thing to the wrong person, you can be hurt, you can be killed. And so I think, you know, there's, that's sort of uh, taught from a very early age by our parents, what we can and can't say, we can't just come out and say anything that comes to our mind to any person uh, without repercussions. 
I like that. That that's when I saw that show, I was like, what? So that was a big cue. So it, explain to people really the the similarity and the differences. I guess you would say from uh, PBS, which is public broadcasting uh, stations, and um, the 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 NPR. So they're both public, both public radio and public television. But are they connected, or how are they connected? Great question. On the national level, they're not connected. PBS hmm. okay. is the television. NPR is the radio. Now, there are a lot of uh, universities that have the licenses for those sorts of stations um, because they're non-commercial stations. And often you'll get a station where uh, the radio side and the TV side both have their licenses owned by the same university. That's the case at, uh, say, Michigan State. Is, mm -hmm. is That's the case. Here in Detroit, not the case. Uh, Detroit Public Television is licensed by a different group. Uh, WDET is licensed by Wayne State University. We work together on some projects, but we don't have right. that uh, common uh, leadership. Okay, so it has to do with who licenses. So at Michigan State, is it Michigan Radio and then their um, public television? WKAR uh, Radio, they have a FM station, they have an AM station, and they have a TV station, and they run wow. all of that. Michigan okay. State. Okay. All right. So we're not hating on Michigan State. I know you went to U of M. <laughs> so no, that's good. That's good. My daughter went to Michigan State. So she did not go into broadcasting or any of that. She went into advertising and marketing. How about that? Uh, so the other question I want to ask you just really quickly. Uh, so your background, you've been primarily in uh, journalism. So you don't really um, have never had to quote unquote, pitch the media, but you've been pitched a lot. So for someone who wants to have some shine, get out there and get known, what are some of the things you've seen maybe over the years where you have been uh, at WDET, what people have done wrong, um, <laughs> some of the things that they should do that's right? I know that's a loaded question and, and we'll put the spotlight on you for that. Well, uh, wow, wow, wow. Uh, I'll, I'll try to keep it under three hours of what people have done wrong. Um, you, you've got to have your ideas together when you come. You've got to know what you're talking about. you got to keep it tight. I get 300, 400 emails a day. Um, a day. A day with different pitches. Oh, cover this, cover that, cover that, cover that. Not enough time to cover all of that. Mm -hmm. Not enough time to read past that, uh, you know, subject line for a lot of it. So if I see something about, um, you know, the uh, engineering department picnic, that immediately goes into the trash because that's just mm -hmm. not something that's newsworthy. What we're working on, what we want to tell Detroiters about are things that make a difference to them. What's going to impact them? We, mm -hmm. we have a little bit of a different uh, view, uh, for example, when it comes to crime. We don't do a lot of crime reporting because mm -hmm. as awful as a crime is, generally it's going to affect a few people. Whereas what the city council does here in Detroit affects 700,000 residents and a couple hundred thousand more that come and go. And so that's really our focus. What mm -hmm. is going to have the biggest impact? Um, so number one, you know, have it tight. Let me you know right at the top what you want to do. And then tell me the important parts, right? It needs to be short. I, I don't have time to read 12, 15 pages about what you want to bring me. 
The other thing I think is important is, is know your audience, know who you want to talk to. So if uh, somebody is going to come talk to me about some invention that is kind of random and not that great and wouldn't impact my audience, I'm not going to be interested. Mm-hmm. My job is to tell the audience things that are important to them, reflect what's important to Detroit. So if, if you're not doing that, you're going to have less of a chance with me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're coming to me to talk about uh, a great theory or a great idea or something that government is doing, I'm, I'm all ears, right? Whereas there are other radio stations, other TV stations who have different, you know, different focus. And so you need to make sure to appeal to that focus. That's going to make a big difference. And that's probably the hardest thing that a new author can really understand. And so that's one reason why I do this podcast. It's like, listen, I'm not trying to hate on you, but they just really aren't interested. And it has to appeal to their audience. Now, obviously, a new author thinks that everybody should be interested in their book or every speaker has a subject that everybody should be interested in. But the thing that that I want people to know is to you know, you have a digital presence so you can go on your website, listen to the shows, see how they sound. Even if you're not in the, in your car listening or wherever, you know, on Alexa or whatever, but you can actually listen online and say, okay, well, this will probably fit because they have several stories about that. And if they have several stories about that, then more than likely you can do the pitch or things that are relevant. I I think, I I think that's key. I mean, you need to think about not what you want for you, but what your readers are going to want, who your readers are going to be. That's key, right? Mm-hmm. It can't, can't be about you because let's be frank. If I get mm-hmm. something from you. I don't care about you. Now, what I care about is my audience. That's what you got to be thinking about going into yeah. it. Yes. And so when I tell people, when you put on a news director's uh, producer's hat, that's what you have to really think about what they are trying to do to serve their audience. So this is really quick to, to, to explain the difference between the inside workings of a radio station. So you're the news director versus a news producer. Do you have like a news booker or, you know, what are the different people that are in the, in your lane that people pitch or the difference between a producer and a director? Great, great, great question. So we have uh, several producers who are looking for for story ideas. Um, they also, for us, you know, most of them double as reporters. So they're also looking okay. for stories to cover for themselves. Okay. Um, we, we've got a daily talk show, Detroit Today with Stephen Henderson. There are a couple of producers there. They're always looking for ideas of people to talk to. That's a very Detroit-centric show, but with some uh, national guests on a regular basis. Yeah, okay. uh, so they are really looking at talking about important issues and ideas. There's another show we have called Culture Shift, which is about arts and culture. Generally not things like the symphony or the art museum, really things like uh, about hip hop and uh, murals and sculpture. So a lot of things like that. But like you were saying, you really need to hear that show to get a sense of what it's about and what sorts of things they're going to have on on a regular basis. For me, 
you know, I'm the news director. I'm at the top of the news pyramid. Um, and so generally, if I see something that's good, I'll ship it off to a reporter or a producer. Right. Uh, if there's something there that makes sense for Detroit Today, I'll send it to them. Or for Culture Shift, I'll send it to them. Oh, that is good. So no wonder you get a lot. You've got to vet a lot of your guests. You've got to really, uh, you know, it's more than a press release. Do you like press releases? Do you like or just a short pitch? That's one of the things that people say all the time. And, you know, as a publicist, I write the press release because sometimes if I do the pitch, then they'll say, send me a press release. So you definitely have to have it. But then a lot of people don't have the gift of writing a press release or even know how so they can do a pitch. So what is your your take on releases today? For, for, for me, the press release is key. I can look at it, I can scan it, and I can say yay or nay. Um, often uh, people will call to follow up on the press release. Generally, I won't even answer the phone yeah. <laughs> unless, <laughs> unless I know it's someone like you calling me, right? Um, if I have met you and I know of you, then that's, that's going to be different. But mm -hmm. again, three to 500, you know, emails a day, uh, right. it, it's just impossible to go through every one and go, right. oh yes, I'm sorry, but I don't want to take your pitch. And here's why I don't want to take your pitch. And let's talk for half an hour about doesn't ever happen. No. So in terms of a news, um, day, uh, how many things, stories do you think are really long, I guess you would say, from your morning all the way down to like the end, like maybe, you know, the average morning show may do like four or five stories and you got, what, 30, 40, 50 stories a day? How many you think, how many stories are you probably covering? I want people to kind of get an idea because if you're getting 300 pitches a day, that means that each producers probably getting that as well and yeah you know, uh, space for so much <laughs> yeah exactly um you know we're probably doing off the top of my head say uh 10 or a dozen short stories a day those are stories that are you know 45 seconds or so mm -hmm. and generally we have uh two segments which are either going to be feature stories or interviews, which might run anywhere from three minutes to six and a half minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that is, that's taken up all of our time and space. You know, the, the two shows, they have more space to talk about those things, but yeah, there's not a lot of, lot of time. And for us, I mean, we have a, you know, a feature is, is three minutes or an interview is six and a half minutes compared to, commercial radio that's an eternity commercial radio you know they might give you 30 seconds they might give you 45 mm -hmm. seconds and that's it mm -hmm. and that's one of the things too when i help people with media coaching is like brevity 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 you're not gonna have a half an hour it's not a podcast it's a show it's terrestrial radio it's real radio so like you said 45 seconds six minutes most at the max and then if you're doing like even like doing television, you know, public broadcasting, that's even shorter, right? If you're going to do something like a GMA, you're not going to be on there for an hour. So yeah, people have to know how to really talk in those sound bites. And um, for speakers, it's tough because they like to speak. Oh yeah. So, so it's like, oh, okay. So what is going on um, with you personally? Are you um, doing some things with NABJ? I know every other year, 
NABJ, for those who don't know, is National Association of Black Journalists. So every other year they do something in combined with the Hispanics. So it's NAHJ. So NABJ, NAHJ is this year, which is August. The last two years was virtual because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So this year they're having it in Vegas, um, the joint. And then the following year they're going to do um, NABJ solo. But it's 40 years, I believe, this year for NABJ celebratory, uh, 40 years been around. Um, so is there anything that you're doing with that or stories you're covering or you're heading to Vegas? I wish I were, but, you know, let's be honest, this year I just have too much work going on to go to Vegas. Uh, the last two years have been great because everybody, I, could go. everybody could go because I didn't have to travel to get there. Uh, mm -hmm. This year I'm traveling for a number of other things. I've got a, a fellowship called the Media Transformation Challenge. Okay. And so we're meeting on a quarterly basis. Uh, I've just, uh, we've launched a new um, sort of mini podcast at the station called the Detroit Evening Report. Ooh. It's a three minute uh, daily newscast that comes out in the evening. Every so, evening? Uh, Monday through Friday. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I've been working to get that off the ground. We've got five hosts, uh, all hosts of color uh, here in Detroit. And so- you know, working to get that off the ground and working on a number of other things. So I'm swamped. Yeah, no, but you're doing the good work, though. I love that. What is the media? What did you say? The Media Transformation Center? Uh, media Transformation Challenge. It's uh, it's an international fellowship uh, uh, that works on different things. It's out of Pointer, the Pointer Institute yeah. in Florida. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, there's some some great folks working uh uh, on on the challenges. So learning a lot. And, uh, you know, just want to say thanks to the folks at Pointer for uh, keeping me in mind. Oh, that is good. So it's transformation in terms of maybe how media is transforming more digital, getting more... Get, yeah. how, how organizations are operating, in some cases, moving from uh, analog to digital, in some cases, uh, moving from serving audience X to audience Y, wow. and really working to create that next level of executive, uh, of decision maker in different organizations around the world. I love that. I love that. Yeah. The Pointer Institute is one of the ones where I want to say, did Felicia Henderson go there? I'm not sure. Yes. She, yeah, no. she okay. was in this program last year and okay. she's the one that, that recommended me for this. Year. I love that. That's a very high level. She's another one. That's a very um, high level people in Detroit. Detroit just got it going on when it comes to journalists. Let me just tell you, they really do. So uh, I just love that. So yes, keep us informed about that. I want people to know they can follow you on Twitter at JVDET. J-V-D-E-T. That's your, that's your Twitter handle there so that people can keep in touch with you. And, uh, you know, basically, I just want to say thank you because the gems that you dropped were really, really important uh, when I tell you that they were, they were the ones that people need to hear. So uh, definitely thank you so much for doing, doing what you do and doing it with excellence, Hall of Famer, uh, for the last two decades or so in the Three. same place. Three, Three. Oh 30 God. years, 30 years as of January. Oh my God. No way. No yeah. way. That is, that's an applause right there. <laughs> you know, 
And I, I don't know what's next for you, but you are just going up and up and up. So, you know, like I said, you're going through the media transformation challenge. Who knows what's going to come after that? So just thank you all so much for what you're doing. And, um, you know, I just appreciate you. And I'll be seeing you around probably the NABJ, the local things, the local events that we do here in Detroit. But thank you all so much for what you're doing, Jerome. Talking to you is always great. Looking forward to doing it uh, soon. And anytime you need something, you give me a shout. We'll do. We'll do. Thank you all so much. Tell everyone I said hey over there. All right. God bless. You've been listening to the Get Out There and Get Known podcast brought to you by PamPerryPR.com, where you'll get insider tips on how to build your platform, pitch the media, and promote yourself with confidence. Head over to PamPerryPR.com and get the exclusive video training on the seven must-have marketing materials you need before you pitch in order to be considered in media places or superstar stages. PamPerryPR.com, where you help you shine like a superstar.